Chapter Five of the Miracle Mongers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lars Rolander. The Miracle Mongers by Harry Houdini. Chapter Five. Fire-eating magicians. Chingling Fu and Changling Su, fire eaters employed by magicians, the man Salamander, eighteen sixteen, Mr. Carlton, professor of chemistry, eighteen eighteen, Miss Cassilis, aged nine, eighteen twenty, the African Wonder, eighteen forty three, Ling Luk and Yamadeva die in China during Keller's world tour, eighteen seventy two, Ling Luk's double, eighteen seventy nine, electrical effects. The Salambos, Bueno Core, Del Cano, Arnello, Edwin Forrest as a heat resistor, the Elder Southern as a fire eater, the Twilight of the Art. Many of our most noted magicians have considered it not beneath their own work or by the employment of a fire artist. Although seldom presenting it, in his recent performances, Ching Ling Fu is a fire-eater of the highest type, refining the effect with the same subtle artistry that marks all the works of this super-magician. Of Fu's thousand imitators, the only positively successful one was William E. Robinson, whose tragic death while in the performance of the bullet-catching trick is the latest addition to the long list of casualties chargeable to that ill-omened juggle. He carried the imitation even as far as the name, calling himself Chang Ling Su. Robinson was very successful in the classic trick of apparently eating large quantities of cotton and blowing smoke and sparks from the mouth. His teeth were finally quite destroyed by the continued performance of this trick the method of which may be found in chapter six the employment of fire-eaters by magicians began a century ago for in eighteen sixteen the magician sieur boas k c featured a performer who was billed as the man salamander the fact that boas gave him a place on his programme is proof that this man was clever but the effects there listed show nothing original in 1818, a Mr. Carlton, professor of chemistry, toured England in company with Ray, the Bartholomew Fair magician. As will be seen by the handbill reproduced here, Carlton promised to explain the deceptive part of the performance when there is a sufficient company. In 1820, a Mr. Cassilis toured England with a juvenile company, one of the features of which was Miss Cassilis, aged nine years, whose act was a complete reproduction of the program of Boas, concluding her performance with a Chinese fire trick. A negro, Carlo Alberto, appeared in a benefit performance given by Herr Julian, who styled himself as the Wizard of the South in London on November 28, 1843. Alberto was billed as the great African wonder, the Fire King and it was promised that he would go through part of his wonderful performance as given by him in the principal theatres in america in boston new york philadelphia etc a later number on the same bill reads 
the african wonder carlo alberto will sing several new and popular negro melodies collectors of minstrel data please take notice in more recent times there have been a number of negro fire-eaters but none seems to have risen to noticeable prominence ling luk one of the best of contemporary fire performers was with dean harry keller when the latter made his famous trip around the world in eighteen seventy seven luk combined fire-eating and sword-swallowing in a rather startling manner his best effect was the swallowing of a red-hot sword another thriller consisted in fastening a long sword to the stock of a musket when he had swallowed about half the length of the blade he discharged the gun and the recoil drove the sword suddenly down his throat to the very hilt although luke also appeared in a chinese make-up dean keller told me that he thought his right name was dave guter and that he was born in budapest Yamadeva, a brother of Lingluk, was also with the Keller Company, doing cabinet manifestations and rope escapes. Both brothers died in China during this engagement, and a strange incident occurred in connection with their deaths. Just before they were to sail from Shanghai on the P&O steamer Kiva for Hong Kong, Yamadeva and Keller visited the bowling alley of the Hermitage, a pleasure resort on the bubbling well road. They were watching a husky sea captain who was using a huge ball and making a double spare at every roll, when Yamadeva suddenly remarked, I can handle one as heavy as that big loafer can. Suiting the action to the word, he seized one of the largest balls and drew it down the alley with all his might, but he had misjudged his own strength, and he paid for the foolhardy act with his life, for he had no sooner delivered the ball than he grasped his side and moaned with pain. He had hardly sufficient strength to get back to the ship, where he went immediately to bed and died shortly afterward. An examination showed that he had ruptured an artery. Keller and Ling Luk had much difficulty in persuading the captain to take the body to Hong Kong, but he finally consented. On the way down the Jiangxi Kiang River, Luke was greatly depressed, but all at once he became strangely excited, and said that his brother was not dead, for he had just heard the peculiar whistle with which they had always called each other. The whistle was several times repeated, and was heard by all on board. Finally the captain, convinced that something was wrong, had the lid removed from the coffin but the body of Yamadeva gave no indication of life, and all save Ling Luk decided that they must have been mistaken. Poor Ling Luk, however, sobbingly said to Keller, I shall never leave Hong Kong alive. My brother has called me to join him. This prediction was fulfilled, for shortly after their arrival in Hong Kong, he underwent an operation for a liver trouble and died under the knife. The brothers were buried in Happy Valley, Hong Kong, in the year 1877. All this was related to me at the Marlborough Blenheim Atlantic City in June 1908, by Keller himself, and portions of it were repeated in 1917, when Dean Keller sat by me at the Society of American Magicians' dinner. In 1879 there appeared in England a performer who claimed to be the original Ling Luk. He wore his make-up both 
on and off the stage and copied so far as he could ling's style of work his fame reached this country and the new york clipper published in its letter columns an article stating that ling look was not dead but was alive and working in england his imitator had the nerve to stick to this story and even when confronted by keller but when the latter assured him that he had personally attended to the burial of ling in hong kong he broke down and confessed that he was a younger brother of the original ling look keller later informed me that the resemblance was so strong that had he not seen the original ling look consigned to the earth he himself would have been duped into believing that this was the man who had been with him in hong kong the salambos were among the first to use electrical effects in a fire act combining these with the natural gas and human volcano dance of their predecessors so that they were able to present an extremely spectacular performance without having recourse to such unpleasant features as had marred the effect of earlier fire acts bueno corto deserves honourable mention for the cleanness and snap of his act and elcano should also be named among the clever performers one of the best known of the modern fire-eaters was barnello who was a good business man as well and kept steadily employed at a better salary than the rank and file of his contemporaries he did a thriving business in the sale of the various concoctions used in his art and published and sold a most complete book of formulas and general instructions for those interested in the craft he had indeed many irons in the fire and he kept them all hot it will perhaps surprise the present generation to learn that the well-known circusman jacob scholas was once a fire-eater and that del fugo well known in his day as a dancer in the music halls began as a fire resister and did his dance on hot iron plates but the reader has two keener surprises in store for him before i close the long history of the heat resisters the first concerns our great american tragedian edwin forrest eighteen o six to eighteen seventy two who according to james rees collie sibber once essayed a fire-resisting act forrest was always fond of athletics and at one time made an engagement with the manager of a circus to appear as a tumbler and rider the engagement was not fulfilled however as his friend salt smith induced him to break it and return to the legitimate stage smith afterwards admitted to sibber that if forrest had remained with the circus he would have become one of the most daring riders and vaulters that ever appeared in the ring his adventures in fire resistance was on the occasion of the benefit to charlie young on which eventful night as the last of his acrobatic feats he made a flying leap through a barrel of red fire singeing his hair and eyebrows terribly this particular leap through fire was the big sensation of those days and forrest evidently had a hankering to show his friends that he could accomplish it and he did the second concerns an equally popular actor a comedian this time the elder southern eighteen twenty six to eighteen eighty eight on march twenty eighteen seventy eight 
a writer in the Chicago Inter-Ocean, communicated to that paper the following curiously descriptive article. Is Mr. Southern a medium? This is the question that fifteen puzzled investigators are asking themselves this morning, after witnessing a number of astounding manifestations at a private seance given by Mr. Southern last night. It lacked a few minutes of twelve when a number of Mr. Southern's friends, who had been given to understand that something remarkable was to be performed, assembled in the former's room at the Sherman House, and took seats around a marble-top table, which was placed in the centre of the apartment. On the table were a number of glasses, two very large bottles, and five lemons. A sprightly young gentleman attempted to crack a joke about spirits being confined in bottles but the company frowned him down, and for once Mr. Southern had a sober audience to begin with. There was a good deal of curiosity regarding the object of the gathering, but no one was able to explain. Each gentleman testified to the fact Mr. Southern's agent had waited upon him, and solicited his presence at a little exhibition to be given by the actor, not of a comical nature. Mr. Southern himself soon after appeared, and after shaking hands with the party, thus addressed them. Gentlemen, I have invited you here this evening to witness a few manifestations, demonstrations, tests, or whatever you choose to call them, which I have accidentally discovered that I am able to perform. I am a fire-eater, as it were. Applause. I used to dread the fire, having been scorched once when an innocent child. A laugh. Mr. Southern, severely, I hope there will be no levity here, and I wish to say now that demonstrations of any kind are liable to upset me, while demonstrations of a particular kind may upset the audience. Silence and decorum being restored, Mr. Southern thus continued. Thirteen weeks ago, while walking up Greenwich Street in New York, I stepped into a store to buy a cigar. To show you there is no trick about it, here are cigars out of the same box from which I selected the one I that day lighted. Here Mr. Southern passed around a box of tolerable cigars. Well, I stepped to the little hanging gas jet to light it, and, having done so, stood contemplatively, holding the gas jet and the cigar in either hand, thinking what a saving it would be to smoke a pipe, when, in my absent-mindedness, I dropped the cigar and put the gas jet into my mouth. Strange as it may appear, I felt no pain, and stood there holding the thing in my mouth and puffing till the man in charge yelled out to me that I was swallowing his gas. Then I looked up, and sure enough, there I was pulling away on the slender flame that came from the glass tube. I dropped it instantly and felt of my mouth, but noticed no inconvenience or unpleasant sensation whatever. What do you mean by it? said the proprietor. As I didn't know what I meant by it, I couldn't answer, so I picked up my cigar and went home. Once there I tried the experiment again, and in doing so I found that not only my mouth, but my hands and face, indeed all of my body, was proof against fire. I called on a physician, and he examined me and reported nothing wrong with my flesh, 
which appeared to be in normal condition. I said nothing about it publicly, but the fact greatly surprised me, and I have invited you here tonight to witness a few experiments. Saying this, Mr. Southern, who had lit a cigar while pausing in his speech, turned the fire-end into his mouth and sat down, smoking unconcernedly. "'I suppose you wish to give us the fire-test,' remarked one of the company. Mr. Southern nodded. There was probably never a gathering more dumbfounded than that present in the room. A few questions were asked, and then five gentlemen were appointed to examine Mr. Southern's hands, etc., before he began his experiments. Having thoroughly washed the parts that he proposed to subject to the flames, Mr. Southern began by burning his arm and passing it through the gas jet very slowly, twice stopping the motion and holding it still in the flames. He then picked up a poker with a sort of hook on the end and proceeded to fish a small coil of wire from the grate. The wire came out fairly white with the heat. Mr. Southern took the coil in his hands and coolly proceeded to wrap it round his left leg to the knee. Having done so, he stood on the table in the centre of the circle and requested the committee to examine the wrapping and the leg and report if both were there. The committee did so and reported in the affirmative. While this was going on, there was a smile almost seraphic in its beauty on Mr. Southern's face. After this, an enormous hot iron in the shape of a horseshoe was placed on Mr. Southern's body, where it cooled without leaving a sign of a burn. As a final test, a tailor's goose was put on the coals, and after being thoroughly heated was placed on Mr. Southern's chair. The latter lighted a fresh cigar, and then coolly took a seat on the goose, without the least seeming inconvenience. During the last experiment, Mr. Southern sang in an excellent tone and voice, I'm sitting on the stile, Mary. The question now is, were the fifteen auditors of Mr. Southern fooled and deceived, or was this a genuine manifestation of extraordinary power? Southern is such an inveterate joker that he may have put the thing upon the boys for his own amusement. But if so... It was one of the nicest tricks ever witnessed by yours truly, one of the committee. P.S. What is equally marvellous to me is that the fire didn't burn his clothes where he touched them any more than his flesh. P.C. There is nothing new in this. Mr. Southern has long been known as one of the most expert jugglers in the profession. Some years ago he gained the sobriquet of the Fire King. He frequently amuses his friends by eating fire, though he long ago ceased to give public exhibitions. Probably the success of the experiments last night were largely owing to the lemons present. There is a good deal of trickery in those same lemons. Editor Inter-Ocean Which suggests that the editor of the Inter-Ocean was either pretty well acquainted with the comedian's addiction to spoofing, or else less susceptible to superstition than certain scientists of our generation. The great day of the fire-eater, or should I say the day of the great fire-eater, has passed. No longer does fashion flock to his doors, nor science study his wonders, 
and he must now seek a following in the gaping loiterers of the circus sideshow, the pumpkin and prize pig country fair, or the tawdry booth at Coney Island. The credulous, wonder-loving scientist, however, still abides with us, and, while his serious-minded brothers are wringing from nature her jealously guarded secrets, the knowledge of which benefits all mankind, he gravely follows that perennial will-o'-the-wisp, spiritism, and lays the flattering unction to his soul that he is investigating psychic phenomena when in reality he is merely gazing with unseeing eyes on the flimsy juggling of pseudomediums. Ending note. I never saw Ling Luk's work, but I know that some of the sword swallowers have made use of a sheath which was swallowed before the performance, and the swords were simply pushed into it. A sheath of this kind, lined with asbestos, might easily have served as a protection against the red-hot blade. End of chapter 5 Fire-Eating Magicians Read by Lars Rolander